Look at them running for freedom. Let me out. I want to play games. Well, as Brenda said, it is a joy to see faces, albeit behind masks. It's good just to be in the same room as everybody once again. It has been some time, and I'm aware part of that is, is COVID, part of that is holidays. For some people, it's lockdown and isolation, so there's many people joining us online. We understand that. It's a funny time, and the truth is this is happening all over the world. I mean, my mum has got COVID at the moment. My sister's got it for the second time. My niece has got it for the third time. Welcome to living with COVID. It's a different thing. Um, I was speaking to Eric Tabetsky the other day in California. He said half of his church was missing on the first Sunday of January because half his church had COVID. So this is what's happening around the world. But God is good, isn't he? As Brendan prayed, he's keeping us safe. And we have 10,000 reasons to praise even in the midst of all that we're working through. And so if you want a title for this morning's message, I've called it The Trinity of Worship. And I'd be grateful if you'd turn with me, please, to Psalm 147. This morning is going to be a little bit different in that we're going to be starting with one verse, but then we're actually going to be studying the whole Bible on a certain topic, and that certain topic is true worship. I want us to see what the Bible has to say about praise and worship. And so let's read Psalm 147, verse 1 together, and then we're going to pray, then we're going to dive in. This is verse 1, the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that we have already worshipped you in song this morning. Lord, it is good to dwell with your people and sing praises to you. But Lord, I thank you that when our singing stops, our worship does not stop. We're still worshiping you now in mind and body and heart. Lord, we're gathering around your holy word. And so Lord, I pray, would you speak to us? Would you speak to our minds and our hearts? Would the word of God dwell in us richly as we gather around your words today? Lord, bless the preaching of your word. Would it all be for your glory? Amen. You know, one of the things that became clear to me after moving to Australia some 11 and a half years ago now is that congregational worship in Australia seems to be somewhat of a controversial issue here. I was told about this before I arrived and I barely believed it. And then I arrived and I discovered it is a controversial issue here. You see, if we were to go around Australia and I think ask lots of different Australian Christians, what is the most important thing about worship? I submit to you, I think we'd probably get several different answers from different people. For some people, they would say, well, the most important thing about true worship within congregational worship, the most important thing is our hearts. It's our emotions, our feelings. We need to have an emotional response to God for it to be true worship. It's the most important thing by a long way is our hearts. Somebody else would say, no, the most important thing in worship is our bodies. And so when you mention congregational worship to some people, straight away they're thinking of raising hands and dancing and clapping and singing because that's the whole understanding that they have on congregational worship. 
And then there's another type of person that hears that and then walks all the way over to the other side of the stage and says, no way. The most important thing about congregational worship is our minds. It has nothing to do with our emotions. It has nothing to do with our hearts. It has everything to do with my mind. I want to worship God in reverence and awe, which means truth. So I stand up and I sing songs and I sit down. I have sung truth. And that's the most important thing in worship. It's quite a controversial issue. And the truth is when people often then arrive at sovereign grace, one of the things I discover is one of the fruits of this being a controversial topic is people are often really confused about it. And really quite confused about what true worship then really is. I mean, what is true worship in a congregational sense? What is the role of our hearts in worship? Do our hearts even matter? And if they do, then how do we pursue genuine affection for God without moving into emotionalism? How do we actually do that? What about our mind? Is our mind actually important? Does our mind play a part in worship? Does it really matter then if we sing songs that have the occasional line in them that aren't really true? Is that just pastors being pernickety? Does it really matter if we sing things that aren't actually true? And then what about physical expression? What about our bodies? Does God actually care what you are doing with your bodies? Is he bothered about that? And if he is, then how should we respond with our bodies? And what should that look like? See, they're all the sort of questions that I think people often have when they arrive at Sovereign Grace. And so I want to serve you as best as I can today by seeking to answer those questions. And the one thing that I want you to know this morning, more than anything else out of all that I'm saying, is this. The true worship, when it comes to heart, mind, and body, always involves all three. See, in God's kindness, when it comes to sung worship and praising his holy name, we don't have to pick between friends. It's not heart or mind or body. Biblical worship, as it's presented to us in God's holy word, is actually all three of those things. I mean, we get to worship a God who is completely and utterly worthy of our praise, do we not? But in the same way that we worship a God who is worthy to be praised, it would assume then we are permitted and asked to worship him in a way that he likes, correct? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What does he like? What does he want from us? You wouldn't dream of giving a present to your best friend, knowing or maybe not even knowing whether they would even like it or not. You would spend time studying. I'm going to make sure there's something they like. What we're studying here is what is God like? What does he actually want from us in worship? What is he actually looking for? And what you understand as you examine scripture is that true worship when it comes to heart, mind and body always involves all three. My prayer today that for some of you this message would be clarifying. It may be the missing link to help make sense of where worship really fits in our lives. For some of you, I pray that this message will be provoking. Maybe break you beyond where you're at presently in your experience and understanding of worship. And for all of us in the room, it's my prayer that we would be inspired by this message. 
That our hearts would be quickened by God's truth and that we would want to worship him all the more in heart, in mind and body for his glory. So three points this morning and here's the first. Number one, true worship always involves our hearts. It's where this journey begins, it's where this story begins, it's where we must begin with understanding that true worship always involves our hearts. Now, so we understand what we're talking about when it comes to the heart, what I'm talking about is the real you. When the Bible speaks to somebody's heart, what it's talking about is the real you, who you really are. Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, the Bible uses heart to describe the inner person, and the heart then is the real you. It is the essential core of who you are. Though we put a tremendous amount of emphasis on the outer person, we must also remember that the true person is the person within. So when we're talking about the heart, and when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the real you, the seat of your emotions and your passions and your experiences and your longings and your desires. That's what the real you is. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we examine scripture as it pertains to worship, that God wants to be worshipped by the real you, which is your heart, your emotions, your desires, your passions. You see, worship has not been designed by God to be some cold regurgitation of words with our hearts not even engaged. And we just think, well, I'm singing it. He must be enjoying it. I want to assure you, no, he's not. It's not designed to be some cold regurgitation of words. It's designed to be an overflow of our hearts to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we see that all the way through the Bible. And so Psalm 103 verse 1, for example, we read, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. You know, in the psalm, it often uses the word soul for heart. It ultimately means exactly the same thing. Everything that I have inside of me, bless his holy name. So this psalmist understood, I'm not just called to bless the Lord. I'm called to bless the Lord, oh, my soul. All that is within me, Lord, I want you to have it all. Because it's all for you. And it's all coming from my heart. Psalm 42 verse 4 then we're called to pour out our souls to God Psalm 25 verse 1 we're to lift up our souls to the Lord Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 we're to love him with all our souls Psalm 34 verse 2 we're to boast in the Lord with our souls getting the point? It's not just a cold regurgitation of words. It's coming from our hearts, our souls. That's why Luke chapter 1 verse 46 and Mary's song is so beautiful. I mean, she's been told by Gabriel that she's to have a child and his name will be Jesus. He will be the savior of the world. Her response, she goes to see Elizabeth and then she starts to sing. And she sings, my soul, my heart magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. It's like she can barely contain herself. She arrives and it's like, I just got to sing. It's not like Elizabeth said, hey, I'm thinking what we should do. Why don't you sing me a song? She's never had that conversation. 
Mary just can't contain herself. She's, she's overwhelmed. My soul, everything I am, magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's not a cold regurgitation of words. It is an overflow from her heart. Not in duty, but in delight. See, when it comes to worship, it always involves our heart. And in truth, this is the way this value works actually in all of life, isn't it? Let me explain. If I go out on a date night with them every week, Emma and I seek to go out on a date night. I love to do that. It is often the highlight of my week. I love to be with my wife. But imagine the scene. If Emma gets dressed up, she's excited. It's date night. We get in the car and then I pull from the back seat some flowers and I give her these flowers. Imagine the scene, her face lights up, and she says, oh, thank you, this is so kind of you. Imagine the scene if I then say, that's okay, I'm your husband, I'm meant to, it's what I do. That's going to be a little bit of a passion killer. Why? Because it's my heart that she wants, not just some action, because I think I should. Talk about sucking the oxygen out of the room, that would do it. Or imagine if I go out with my kids at different times, having breakfast, which we do seek to do as a family. Imagine if I go out for breakfast with young Liam. He's 10 years old and he sits down with his milkshake and I sit opposite. He's usually very excited, mostly about the milkshake. I'm second part of the story here. But imagine the scene if I present the milkshake and he's like, Oh, Dad, this is amazing. Thanks for coming out with me. And I just say, That's okay, Liam. I'm your dad. It's what I do. I should. I'm training you in the way you should go. It's not exactly relationship building, is it? Why? Because he wants my heart. He wants to know he has a dad who loves him and is for him and is bothered about him. And my friends, when it comes to worshiping the Lord, exactly the same thing is at play. God is not interested in some just cold regurgitation of some words. I'm singing to you. I'm singing. I'm singing. I'm singing because I should. It's what I do on a Sunday. It's my duty. He has no delight in that. He wants it to be an overflow of our hearts from people that are saying, I love you. I just want to sing to you. I can't help myself. Because he wants our affections. He wants the real you, your emotions, your heart. See, worship without heart involvement, in effect, is really not worship at all. And God takes no delight in it. That's why he addresses the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, in the way he does. He says, these people, looking at the the Pharisees, these people honor me with with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What he's making it clear to everybody is, listen, this is not true worship. They may honor me, they may worship me with their lips, but their hearts aren't involved. And that's why in stark opposition to that, Paul actually tells us in Ephesians 5 verse 19, that we are to sing and make melody to the Lord, listen, with all our hearts. He doesn't just say, sing and make melody to the Lord. Full stop. Okay, let's go. No, no. Sing and make melody to the Lord, Full comma, with all our hearts. He wants our hearts. He wants the seat of your emotions, of who you are, your passions. He wants the real you. Listen, God never intended our worship of him to be confined to a merely academic or intellectual exercise. No, he's always wanted our hearts. 
And so folks, I want to ask you, as you examine yourself, does the Lord have your heart? And when you sing, is it actually an overflow of your heart or just some cold regurgitation of words? Because my friends, I want to encourage you. He wants your heart. Now listen, that does not mean that every time we gather, we've all got to come in like Tigger, okay? We've not got to be, I'm singing, I'm so excited. No, that's really, really weird. That's not what the Bible's talking about. We don't all have to now be Tigger. There will be times when some of us are like that. You're just so excited about the Lord and we ain't going to stop that. That's great. But there'll be other times when you're just longing for the Lord. You're in desperate need for him. And so you're more contrite and just, Lord, I need you. There'll be other times when you're longing for the longing to be with the Lord. And you're aware something's gone missing here. All of those are acceptable because all of them involve your heart. And that's what the Lord wants. You see, when we come to worship the Lord, we're not worshiping a group of doctrines. A group of random truths. We're worshiping a person. And he wants our hearts. When it comes into understanding what true worship is, we have to understand that up front, true worship always involves our hearts. That's not all it involves. Number two, true worship always involves our minds. It's not just our heart that is engaged here. It is also our mind. See, whether we like it or not, we are all, even as Christians, a broken people, aren't we? We're broken. We leak. We're a bit bust. We're a bit broken, even in our hearts. And one of the fruits of that, I think, is that our feelings and our hearts can so easily be out of whack at different times with who God is and what he's actually done for us. We kind of know it distantly, but Our feelings aren't engaged in the same way. Our feelings can be different to who God really is and what he's done. And that's why it's so important to understand that in true worship, our minds are always involved. And our minds always need to be engaged. See, God hasn't designed worship to be a moment where we just leave our minds at the door, check your minds out of the door, and pursue some type of emotional response that is devoid of any mind. No, he's designed worship for our minds to be fully engaged, and as we're hearing truths about who God is, our emotions are then stirred, and we respond in praise. And that's the way our minds actually work. To illustrate how this works, I, I remember some years ago, I went to a barbecue, a, a men's barbecue at Andrew Lung's house. I don't think I'd been in Australia all that long, and uh, I wasn't used to the barbecue scene. We don't have them in, in England most of the time because it, well, it rains every day, so there's no time to go outside and have barbecues. And so I went to this barbecue at Andrew's house. I was super excited. Um, I'd never seen like a cold, a cold barbecue thing. It was just very exciting. And and when I went out there, it was less impressive than than I thought, because this thing was like it was it was kind of glowing would be a strong word. It it was on. There was a bit of smoke, but that was kind of it. There just wasn't a lot of coals, and so he tried to get the coals out and put them on the ground, and it was still not overly impressive experience. And he said, "No problem. This is what we do in Australia." I'm like, "Sweet, what are we going to do?" 
He goes to his garage. He comes back out with a leaf blower. I'm like, this must be the barbecue tool I've never seen before. And he takes this leaf blower and he puts it on these coals. And oh my goodness, these coals suddenly, they start to glow, the smoke, the flames come. I'm loving this. This leaf blower brought the whole barbecue to life. Before the leaf blower's on, they're kind of just smoldering a bit. But once that leaf blower goes on, the whole coal thing comes alive. Well, my friends, in worship, our minds are the leaf blower. The coals of our heart are what God wants to be worshipped with him. The coals of our heart are what erupt in flames in worship to the Lord. But sometimes we're just not there. And so God gives us a leaf blower, which is our minds. Truth from his word that should stir our affections to then go, yes, that is true. I love that. Which is why it's so important for our minds to be fully engaged. See, in Psalm 37 verse 4, God tells us to come and delight ourselves in him. You know what that means? It means come and delight ourselves in his word and exactly who he is. Because when we gather around his word, it's not an interruption into the service. It's the leaf blow coming on right there. That's what that is. Because when you spend time in his word, you realize this is what God's like. This is his passions and his desires and his hopes and his dreams. This is who he is in his character. This is how he feels about me. This is who he is and his promises, what he's done for me and what he is doing and what he will do. That leaf blow comes on and our hearts begin to have their affection stirred. And what happens? You want to praise him. That's the way our minds work. That's the way the truth of this God's word, God's word is designed to work in our worship. And in headline, my friends, that's the way all of God's word is designed to work. Because amongst other things, this word is a leaf blower to our, the coals of our hearts. When you think about even this psalm that I started with today, it works in exactly this way. One verse exhorts us to praise. Verse 1, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. It's an exhortation, a call. Sing your hearts out. And then he spends 19 verses with a leaf blower on. Pouring oxygen onto the coals of our hearts. And so he tells us in those verses about God's tender and compassionate love for his people. And he starts to give us truth after truth. Not just abstract truths, but intimate truths. For you, if you are a Christian, all these truths are personal and applied to you. All right, They're not just out there. We think, oh, that's interesting. No, they're realities for you. And so he tells us in verse 2 how the Lord gathers the outcasts and heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And how he lifts up the humble and how he protects and blesses and brings peace and provides for the daily needs of all those, verse 11, that look to him and have put their hope in his steadfast love. You see what he's doing? He's pouring oxygen on the coals, reminding us, this is who God is. This is who he is. This is how great he is to you. And then for all those concerned or maybe not overly impressed, you're thinking, well, that's kind of the Lord to be like that, but can he really affect my life? Can he change my life? The rest of the psalm 
goes on to explain then about God's glorious and powerful sovereignty over all things, including his intimate care over your life. And so in verse 4, the psalmist tells us how he determines the number of the stars in the night sky and he covers the heavens with clouds and prepares rain for the earth, making the grass grow as he wills. He's the one who provides food for all living creatures, verse 9. And he's the one who brings the changing seasons, each in their turn, verses 16 to 18. All of which makes the psalmist in verse 5 say, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. My friends, there is simply no one like the Lord. And when you spend time in verses 2 through 20, the only immediate response as that leaf blower has been pointed to your hearts is verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Makes sense? It's not some emotional response to just random thoughts. That's emotionalism. No purpose, but just a vibe. No, this is an emotional response to reality. That's worship. And the mind has such an important part to play in that. When you discover who God is and what he's done and what that all means, it should stir our affections. And what that stirring looks like is worship. But for that to happen, our mind is so important. John Stott says it this way. He says, what then does it mean to worship God? It is to glory in his holy name. That is to revel adoringly in in who he is in his revealed character. But before we can glory in God's name, we must know it. Hence the priority of the reading and preaching of God's word in public worship and of biblical meditation in private devotion. Oh, how true that is. So my friends, I want to ask you, how are you going with the leaf blower of God's word on your soul? Because my experience in my life is when my heart, the coals of my heart are growing cold, that leaf blower ain't been on too much. How are you going with studying God's word in your private devotions? Of quickening your hearts with the truths of who God is. How he's done for you. What he continues to do. Listen, God's word is so important to us for many reasons. And yet one of the main reasons is because God's word allows us to be quickened to worship who he really is. And not who who we think he is. I mean, what a tragedy that would be, don't you think? Worshipping a God that actually doesn't exist. But also... We get to worship God in our hearts because as we hear truths about him, there's something in our hearts that goes, yes, that's true, that's right, that's my God. And we want to worship him. So how are you going at spending time in God's word? Listen, it's something that Brenda and I, I'm aware we ring that bell a lot. And we don't do it because we just want you to tick the box of having a private devotion. We do it because we know doing that will change your life. If Christians would just daily spend time with God and in prayer and reading the Bible, most of our lives would look dramatically different. Honestly. Christianity at root level is so painfully basic. And it's often the basic 
that we often find so hard. My friends, God never intended for our worship of him to be some mindless moment of emotion. He's designed it to ensure that our worship of him always involves our minds. And so true worship, it involves our hearts, and it involves our minds. And then there's a third, third part of the Trinity. And it's this, number three, that true worship always involves our bodies. Our bodies. Now, most of us are likely on board with my first two points. Worshipping God in heart and mind, I'm there. But it's usually when we bring up the question of bodies that things can become a little bit more tense depending on what people's backgrounds are. I mean, does God really care about what we do with our bodies? Is he really leaning in and bothered and even interested in what you and I do with our hands and our feet and our bodies in congregational worship to him? Does he honestly care about any of that? Well, my friends, as a pastor who loves you, I want to inform you that the biblical answer to that would appear to be yes. He's actually very bothered. He's very interested in what you're doing and what I'm doing with our bodies. And so whilst worship is first and foremost a matter of the heart, biblically it is never unrelated to what we do with our bodies. See, God could have just made us all spirits. The world might have looked a bit different, but he could have. But he didn't. He gave you a body and then said, it is good. He didn't design us just to be spirits. He gave us bodies. And the way he designed us is that our bodies tend to reflect what's going on in our heart. So does it matter what happens with our bodies? Oh, yes, it does. Our bodies express what is going on in the coals of our hearts. And biblical evidence for this is massive. It's not like we have to pluck out a few random verses. It's everywhere. Let me show you in Exodus 4 verse 31. When Moses comes back and tells the Israelites that God has heard their prayer for deliverance. They immediately bow down and worship the Lord. In Exodus chapter 15, after they come through the Red Sea, God has delivered the Israelites and the Egyptians miraculously and wonderfully. And they respond then with dancing and singing in celebration to the Lord. Responsive, immediate. They can't contain themselves. In Nehemiah 8 verses 6 through 9, when the word of God is being proclaimed, people are standing and lifting hands and weeping before the Lord. You know, in all those instances, it's not like somebody's rode up and said, okay, guys, here's what I'm thinking. And what if you could, if you could weep, let's you weep. You stand and you dance. No one's communicating that. It's just what their heart's response. They're just so thrilled or amazed or affected that their bodies are just going with what they feel. It's just a natural human reaction. And I trust you, if we had been there, we would have done exactly the same thing. In the Psalms, we see likewise an abundance of references to physical expression. And so in Psalm 108 verse 1, we read, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. I mean, one can only imagine what all my being is, but it sounds intense and infused and all in. 
They're not just singing, I'm just going to sing. No, it's I'm going to sing and make melody with everything I have. In Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12, David says, For you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory, or more literally, whole being, in the way we would speak today, may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I mean, David is enthused. He's thrilled. And so he's dancing before the Lord. Amazed. An overflow of his heart. Psalm 5, verse 7. We read, but I... Through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Psalm 63 verse 4. So I will bless you as long as you live in the glory of your name. I will lift up my hands. Psalm 47 verse 1. Clap your hands all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. I mean, if anybody ever says to you, I just don't think God likes expression. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. I mean, that's massive. Clapping. Yes, do that. Sing loudly. Mm -hmm. Make sure it's joyful. Yes. Do I have to? All peoples. It's all there. It's all there. The Lord wants our affections and he wants it to be displayed. See, throughout the Bible then, we see a whole range of physical expressions. We see singing, kneeling, lifting hands, bowing down, clapping, shouting, playing all types of instruments, dancing and standing in awe to name but a few. Does God care what we do with our bodies? It would seem he does. He didn't just make us spirits, he made us bodies. And our bodies are designed by God to express how we're feeling. To express to the Lord his glory. To magnify his holy name. And again, when you just look at society and humanity, it would be true to say that this is how this works in normal life as well. Is it not? You go to a football match, which I love to do. And your team wins. It's not like the guy comes on the announcement. Hey guys, um, you may have noticed... We just won. Um, so after three, one, two, three, we will clap and we will cheer. Okay, okay, one, two, three. No one does that. That's really weird. Your team wins and everybody just goes, yes! And they're worshiping the players. They can't help themselves. Why? Because everything they've seen has brought them joy. The coals of their hearts have been affected. And so they erupt in their bodies. They don't need instructing in that. It just happens. It's what we do in our humanity. The same would be true when you enjoy a a good drink or a good dessert or a nice meal. One of the things Emma always laughs at me. She's like, you're always making noises. I am because I enjoy it. And I just go, I just go, hmm, oh, this is, oh, this is so good. And then I usually want to tell everyone, you should try this. Well, not this because this is mine, but you should try this sometime. (laughs) What is that? You know, it's just like an involuntarily bodily reaction because it's brought me pleasure. I want everybody to know about it. This is exactly what God wants to us in congregational worship as well. That if our hearts have been quickened by him through our minds, he wants us to tell the world about it and he wants us to proclaim it to him. It would be a sad day if people came into our church and thought, well, they're singing stuff, but they clearly don't believe it. 
they look bored out their heads. What a tragedy that would be. My friends, when we gather to sing praises to the Lord, we have an opportunity to proclaim to the nations just how glorious he is. But more than that, we have the opportunity to proclaim to Jesus just how much we love him and need him and long for him. And we don't just do that in our minds and our hearts. We express it in our bodies. If it's so clear then that God wants our bodies, why don't we give him our bodies all the time? Why do we hold back? Why doesn't he get our bodies in a way that he desires? Well, the truth is, as Christians, I think we can face different obstacles in that. And just to close, I just want to touch on these very briefly because I want to serve you well. See, one of the hindrances that I think we can sometimes find in our lives, which is why we don't just explode in praise, one of the hindrances, I think, can be a lack of clarity and biblical understanding on this issue. And so we naturally don't because we just think, no, I'm called to worship in reverence and awe. I'm not quite sure why that became the position of reverence and awe, but for some reason. Well, I hope today's message has helped to bring clarity on this issue. The Lord wants us to worship with our heart and our mind and our bodies. And so if you've struggled with clarity, I hope this has helped to bring some clarity as to why this is important. Another obstacle that we sometimes have to become is the tradition and culture we're in, particularly the tradition and culture of the church we're in. And listen, I thank God for the tradition and culture of Sovereign Grace Church. I thank God that as I look around at you and often have the privilege of leading song, people are engaged, your hearts are engaged, you're worshiping, it's wonderful. But I want to encourage you, listen, one of the comments I often get back from people is, oh, when you said that in your message, oh, everything in me just wanted to go, yes, amen, but I didn't. I know you wouldn't like that. (laughs) And every time I say, please do. I mean, why? Because what you're experiencing in that moment is the cause of your heart being affected. And when you say yes, amen, or you clap, everybody is actually affected. This is an experience that we're all enjoying together rather than a teacher and just we're listening, we're faithfully listening. No, no, we're in this together. Amen? Amen. So when you said yes, amen. So when you feel the Lord stir in your heart, don't come to me at the end of the service and apologize. Oh, I felt, I felt it, but I didn't like to say it. No, please do. If in worship you're thinking, this is great, you want to clap, clap. You're affected, you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. You want to shout out, glory to God, shout out, glory to God. I want us to be like that. Because it's an expression of our praise, unless we check it. And I don't want us to check it. I want us to enjoy it. One of the things I do enjoy about traveling, particularly when I go to the Philippines and even the States, you're preaching away and you're barely aligned in and they're like, amen, brother, and they're clapping and you're aware, like, I mean, it's different. I'm going to tell you, it takes my, usually it takes my message a lot longer for a start. <laughs> but I enjoy it because it's like interactive. You know, we're just enjoying this together as the Lord is quickening people's hearts. The worship hasn't stopped when the singing stops. We're still in this together. And yet the truth is, I think for many people, it's not necessarily a lack of clarity or a tradition and cultural issue. It's actually a fear of man issue. So we kind of want to respond like that. But I'm aware there's other people here and they might notice and it can be a challenge. And I know I struggle with that, particularly as a, as a younger guy. 
And as a newer Christian, I saw everybody else raising their hands, and I kind of wanted to, but it felt like somebody had hold of my hands, and so I just couldn't really move them. And then when I eventually did, you get them to your pockets, <laughs> and eventually you work your way, you know, it's just... But you kind of feel like everybody is looking at me. Listen, no one's looking at you. And if they are, you know what they see? Somebody who loves Jesus. Would that be a bad thing? And what God sees is somebody who thinks, I love that. Thanks for loving me more than them. Thanks for fearing me more than them. My friends, we don't want to allow the fear of man to stop our worship of a great and holy and kind king, do we? And so that's just an obstacle we have to overcome. Mark Buchanan, in his wonderful article, Dance of the Godstruck, says it this way. He says, God is not content to just be the safekeeper of our reputations. He is not some domestic deity intent on prescribing an etiquette which maintains a polite society, aghast by any outbursts of fervor. And so our role then on this earth, be it prophet, priest, or homemaker, is not to keep ourselves from any and all embarrassment. No, listen. For we must come before the king and worship with all our might because he is worthy. And my friends, when we come through those doors on a Sunday morning, the only person's approval that matters is his. It's not about them. It's about him. And he hasn't arranged it then that I'm going to do nothing that will ever embarrass you. Mm-hmm. We worship because he's worthy of it all. You know, we live in a culture that I think sometimes is a little confused on this issue. And it can be controversial. But the point I want to make is that God doesn't want us to choose between friends. True worship always involves heart, mind, and body. And so in Sovereign Grace Church, may we exhibit all three. May we worship the one who is worthy to be praised. And may we do it in a way that truly does honor him. And so may the trinity of worship be our story. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that you are worthy of our worship. Lord, it is not a hardship to sing to you. It is not a hardship to get excited about you. Because we only have to look at you for a moment to realize you are amazing. And you are indeed the sum of everything we had ever hoped for. So Lord, I pray as we look out on the year ahead, Lord, did you stir our hearts to praise and worship for you throughout the entire year? Lord, where we need to be provoked in our expression, Lord, would you do that? Where we need to be stirred in our minds, would you stir our minds as we sing truth after truth? Would our hearts be rekindled with affection for you? And Lord, for all of us, would we explode in praise? You are worthy of it all. So may you receive it all. Would it all be for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I trust church that you've been fueled with the ammunition for worship. Let's be upstanding. Let's respond to our great God. He is worthy.